memorial honors 16 million who served in the armed forces of the U.S., the more than 400,000 who died, and all who supported the war effort from home. Symbolic of the defining event of the 20th century, the memorial is a monument to the spirit, sacrifice, and commitment to the American people. The Second World War is the only 20th century event commemorated on the National Mall's central axis. The memorial opened to the public on April the 29th, 2004, and was dedicated one month later on May the 29th of that same year. It is located on the 17th Street between Constitution and Independence Avenues and is flanked by the Washington Monument to the east and the Lincoln Memorial to the west. The memorial is operated by the National Park Service and is open to visitors 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unless the government is shut down. Which it is. Well, it is still open because some very brave veterans who served during the WW2 happened to visit that monument only to discover that the government had shut down a monument that didn't really need to be shut down. And they broke through the barricades because they wanted to see a monument that was placed by the Americans because of their service and their sacrifice to their nation. They were not to be denied. That monument is a living memorial to the service and the sacrifice that many gave their lives and many served with their life in order to make our freedom and the freedom of others possible. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's an impressive memorial. We have memorials like that throughout the United States. We have many here in Wichita, and we have one just outside. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a large rock out there. And that large rock is placed there as a memorial, as a monument of the significance of this day. Now, we have monuments like that, and we have monuments like those of WW2, where they are located in a certain area, in a region where people do visit. But we also have living memorials as well. And a living memorial is simply someone who was a part of an event, and they, because they're still living, are walking, breathing, living memorials. For example, I would like for all of the men who served, or women, in World War II to stand at this time. All who served in World War II, please stand. I know we've got a few. We got anybody else? Come on. Wait a minute. Remain standing. Remain standing for a minute. You are a living memorial. And when the last one who served in World War II dies and you guys are getting older, we will no longer have any living memorials. Thank you for serving our nation, and thank you for serving our country. Those of us who are in here this morning are living memorials of this day. I don't believe there will be another day like it in the history of this church. It's my prayer. And I think that's why you showed up today. Because I hope and pray that this day is so significant in our individual lives and our corporate life of the church that many of us, as we live for quite some time, and there are some children here and some of us a little older, that as we live out our lives serving the Lord as members of this body, this fellowship, this church called Emmanuel Baptist Church, you will be a living memorial of what God did. I had somebody ask me one time, are we going to put a plaque out there? And I said, well, why would we put a plaque? Well, in case somebody goes by, they'll read why we have this memorial out there. And I said, no, you're the living memorial. And you are to testify 
Anyone who asks, why is that rock there? That's what living memorials do. They testify to the sacrifice and the commitment of what has taken place. And we see now in this journey that we've been on in the book of Joshua, where Joshua has been leading his people, he has been charged by God, he's been commissioned by God, and now they have made the journey across the Jordan. They are on the other side. They're on the western side. For two years, they have camped out on this eastern side. They've been awaiting for God to tell them it's time to go. The time has come. The priest stepped out into the water, and sure enough, the water parted. The hand of God came, and he stopped the water from flowing, and the people, it said, walked across on dry land. Now all of the two million plus people are on the western side of the Jordan. They are camping out in a camp called Gilgal. And they are there awaiting instructions from the Lord. They've all crossed. Now we arrive at this book in this passage, Joshua 4. And we see that God is signifying to them it's time to build a memorial. Now the memorial that they are going to build is a memorial in which they are going to remember the activity of God in this place. God does not want them to ever forget what he has done in this place for his people. God has not only protected and provided for them in the past, not only in liberating them from Egypt, not only in being and providing for them for 40 years in the wilderness, even at their rebellion and their resistance to him, he has now brought them to the doorstep of the promised land. They have now crossed over, and God is wanting them to now build a memorial that they will look at, they will visit often, and when they do, they will be reminded of the faithfulness and of the grace and the mercy of God on them as his people. Not only is it a reminder to them, but I think it's also a, a, an opportunity for them to now commit themselves afresh and anew in the promises that God has on the other side of this Jordan in an order and in a way in which they can now proceed and progress with God. You see, it's a commitment time for them, I think, a time in which they are going to gather around the rock and they're going to themselves as God's people commit to the Lord as they are now to venture out into the blessings and the inheritance that is rightfully theirs. And so this monument, I think, is a monument of God's faithfulness and the people's faith. Now, as we take a look at this passage, we continue to see, as we did last Sunday, their faith. Now, I've entitled this study, Rock Solid Faith. I don't know if you notice or not, but there's a bunch of rocks out here. Now, I'm going to hold this rock. First one falls asleep, I'm going to deck them with this thing and see how this thing works, all right? So if you're on the front row, now, don't, don't think you're out of the loop way back there because i got a pretty good arm, okay? No. Rock Solid Faith. Uh, this rock is pretty solid, pretty hard. I'd hate to get hit by it, wouldn't you? Is your faith a rock solid faith? And the faith that these people exhibited in their God, in Jehovah, is a rock-solid faith. What kind of faith is a rock-solid faith? Well, let's answer the question. Let's take a look at the text. We're going to go through this passage very, very quickly. It's a long chapter. We're going to look at sections of it, not everything, but we're going to highlight six things in regard to what makes a rock-solid faith. First of all, a rock-solid faith seeks intimacy with God. It seeks intimacy with God. Take a look at the passage in verse 1, chapter 4 of the book of Joshua. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, 
Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly on the ground and bring them over to you and lay them down or let them rest in the place where you lodge tonight. So God is coming to Joshua again. He is, he is seeking once again, as Joshua does throughout the entire book, throughout his entire life, he is going to God early in the morning, and we see him being renewed in his relationship with the Lord. He is continually, constantly, every morning, the first thing that he does when he gets up is that he spends time alone renewing his commitment and communing with God. I'm convinced that you'll never have a rock-solid faith if you don't have a habitual, regular, faithful time where you or God are getting alone whenever and wherever that is and spending time alone with God. Your faith will never be strong. You'll never have a rock-solid faith. And there are many today who want to skip the relationship aspect with God and just step out and trust God without spending time with God. Because unless Joshua were to spend time with God, he would not receive the revelation that he needed from God. Joshua was very clear and he understood that unless he spent time with God, he would not receive the instructions that God had for him and his people. And he knew that the task was so daunting, that the responsibility was so great, and the enemy was so overpowering, and the obstacle, let's say just the river by itself, was unachievable without the leadership and without the hand of God. And he knew that he needed to depend completely on God. He wasn't coming to God and saying, God, I've got a plan how we're going to overcome this river. Now, for some of you who weren't with us, the river is flowing from the north down from the mountains. The snow is melting down to the south in the Dead Sea. And, and we've seen pictures of what floods look like and rivers that are overflowing. And, and the Jordan was just gushing over in a top flood level. And there was no way that they would ever be able to cross the Jordan at this time without the prevention and the hand of the provision of God. And Joshua knew that. Not only this time, but every single moment of every day of his life, he knew that he had to commune with God, and God would then communicate to him exactly what was necessary and needed for him, not only in his personal life, but for those that God gave him responsibility to lead. Moms and dads, how are you going to be parents without seeking a personal, intimate love relationship with God on a continual, consistent basis? Faith seeks intimacy with God. You can't devise your own plans and then come to God and say, bless my plans. Because too often, our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. And we have to come to the Father and we have to come and say, Lord, what are your thoughts? What are your plans? What are your ways? What is your will? What is your desire? And when he instructs us and when he gives us those, we then take those plans and we implement those plans and we seek intimacy, which leads us to the second aspect about faith, the rock-solid faith, is that it only seeks intimacy with God, but it strikes immediately. It strikes immediately. Notice the text in verse 4. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he appointed, a man from each tribe. Verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Joshua commits to being prepared. There's a preparation involved, and you see it in verse 4. He said, Joshua called the 12 men from 
the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. He has already appointed a man from each tribe. We saw it last week where Joshua and the people helped us understand that faith always prepares for what God wants to do. Joshua was already preparing for what God was going to do. He had already selected 12 men who were going to be implemented, who were going to be appointed as God's instruments, as God's men who would then help build this memorial. He's already done that. So he's committed to being prepared. He calls the men from where they are to where they need to receive and to hear the message from God and he then commissions them then to take the stones so that they might put them to rest where God had instructed. Faith does not hesitate ever. Faith never delays. When is the time for us to act? When God speaks. Never act until God speaks and never act until God tells you it's time to act. For too many times, we often delay in our response to what God wants to do, and as a result of our delay, we get behind God. Too many times, we, in our culture today, because of our impatience, we get ahead of God, and if we get ahead of God, then we're way above and beyond the timing of God, and then things don't always work out the way that God intended them to work out. Why? Because we didn't want to wait on God. We got ahead of him and took the bull by the horns, grabbed the steering wheel, and revved up (laughs) <laughs> the, the car, and we pushed through way before God said it was time. So there has to be an immediate implementation of the plan of God. But when God says it's time, that's when it's time. Somebody asked me, well, where did you get this whole concept that we're talking about in these last couple of weeks? It's been brewing in my heart and mind since the day I got here. This is not something that's happened overnight or just because of a couple of weeks. I've been thinking and dreaming and and meditating on this whole concept for almost six and a half years. And God said, this is the time. To have implemented it earlier would have been disastrous. To wait and to implement it at a later time when it's more convenient for us as a church or me personally would not be faith. And when God comes to you and he reveals something to you and he says, this is the moment, this is not just the revelation, but this is the time to act, faith always strikes immediately. It never delays. It never hesitates. It always goes with the perfect timing that God has for your circumstance and for your life. So strike immediately. Faith, rock solid faith, not only seeks intimacy and strikes immediately, but it shares willingly. It shares willingly. Notice the text in verse 6. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God is wanting Joshua and his people to build a memorial. What kind of memorial is it? It's a purposeful reminder of the activity of God, not only in the past, but in the present. God has revealed himself miraculously in the past. And now he has miraculously revealed his mighty hand, his activity, his power and provision presently in the crossing of the Jordan. And he wants them to remember the incredible activity of God. He does not want them to forget how great God is. And we think, well, how simplistic that is. And yet when we think about our own lives, how often do we, when we face challenges and trials and hardships or difficulties or tribulations or even temptation, that we fail to recognize and to remember, you know what? 
my God is a mighty God. And he wanted the people to remember, and the purpose was to be reminded of the incredible power of God. So it had a purposeful reminder, but it also had a personal reminder. Notice the personal reminder. When the people see, when they see, especially the children, they're going to see the monument, they're going to ask, what does this mean? I can't help, but I had a pastor in, in uh, one of my churches, uh, one of our senior pastors, and, and <laughs> I'm going to say this anyway because it's in my head, so I'm going to say it anyway. But uh, he was, uh, had a little bit different accent, and whenever he came to the word mean, he would say, what does this mean? I just hear that every time when I read in the Bible the word mean. I can't help it. I, he, what does this mean? And so people are going to see the, the memorial and they're going to say, what does this mean? Now what are you going to tell them? I don't know. <laughs> or it means something else. You know, people are going to notice the stone. And they're going to say, what does that mean? It's to mark our crossing over as a church, remembering God's activity in the past, thanking him for his activity in the present, but our commitment to move with God into the future. That's what it means. And when the children ask and when others ask, God was telling Joshua and telling the people, I want you to tell them what it means. God is a powerful God, and look what God has done. Look what he's done. Give him the glory and the credit for it. But notice it's also a perpetual reminder in that it's to be there forever. It is to be a perpetual reminder of the grace and the mercy and the power and the provisions of God. And God is wanting the people to always to be reminded that he is a great God and that there are no obstacles that he cannot remove. There are no barriers that he cannot tear down. There are no battles that he cannot win. There are no people that he can't overcome. Our God is a faithful, gracious, loving, kind, merciful God who never abandons his children and is always faithful to be there with his presence and his power and his provisions to do what he dictates and determines to be his will. It's a perpetual reminder. But if you skip down to the verses 21 through 24, you see another thing about this memorial because the words are almost written exactly verbatim to the ones that we've just read, but there's one difference in a very small verse in verse 24. Notice early on in the verse, it's not on the screen, but notice what it says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. There's a powerful reminder in the marking that God has in this memorial. He wants the world to know how mighty, how powerful he is. There is no God like Jehovah God. As a matter of fact, there are no other gods other than God. He is the only true living God. And Israel's God, who is the only true and the only living God, is mightier than any God that man could ever fabricate, than any barrier that the enemy could ever elevate, than any obstacle that could ever seek to obstruct the activity and the hand and the blessing, the power of God. Nothing can thwart God. And he's wanting the enemy, especially Jericho and all the Canaanites in the land that they're about to conquer, to understand and know that their God is a mighty God. I think a world is waiting to hear that from the church today. For many of us have either created a God that is inactive or unconcerned or unaware or passive in the world in the global condition and, and the societal 
problems that we face today. But I'm here to tell you, God is still on his throne and God is still sovereign. The world needs to know and the world needs to see in us and in our body and in our church from this community that our God is a mighty God and our God can transcend our sin and transform our lives and bring us into the blessings through faith in Christ and push us on into his perfected in his perfect image. That's how great our God is. That we can rise above the world. That we can rise above the trials. That we can rise above the tribulations. That we can rise above. Why? Not in and of ourselves and our own strength. Because we serve and we have a mighty God. Faith is a faith that testifies not only to believer, but unbeliever alike. God is a mighty God. And there's nothing that he can't do. Rock-solid faith not only seeks intimacy, not only strikes immediately, not only shares willingly, but it stimulates accountability. It stimulates accountability. Look at verse 9. It said, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, commentators have a huge debate over this. Uh, there are some who say that, you know, there's a second memorial that's still there in the Jordan today. And then there's some who say, no, that's not true. And, and I've researched all of this. And I just want to tell you that I have the correct interpretation of this, just right off the bat. I have settled all the argument of all the historical accounts of this. There. This is what I believe in the study that I have. I believe this is what happened. I believe that, uh, <clears throat> that Joshua had already pre-selected these 12 men. Before the crossover. I mean, we know that he already selected them in advance because he was preparing for faith. And so he had already selected one man from every tribe. And so here you have two plus million people. It's a lot of people. Two plus million people are together marching on dry land from this side of the Jordan to the other side, into the Canaan, into the promised land. Now, how would you know that all 12 tribes have made it across? I don't know about you, but a camp that contains 2 million people is probably a camp that's pretty much scattered out. So how would you know that all the tribes have come together and all the tribes have crossed? Well, let's say one man of every tribe, as they stepped onto dry ground, were assigned with the task of picking up a boulder, setting it on his shoulder, and as he came into the middle of the Jordan River, where the priests were holding the Ark of the Covenant, they lowered the rock. And the priests would know, number, tribe number one's been through, Tribe number two, they could count the rocks and they would know that all of the tribes had made it across the river. And so they were making a pile of rocks at the feet of the priests who were standing in the middle of the river. Now when they get to the other side and all the people have crossed, God tells Joshua, what I want you to do, I want you to tell those 12 guys to go back to pick up those rocks, those boulders that they carried on their, on their shoulder and to bring them back to this side of the Jordan and Put them to rest, lay them here in Gilgal. We're going to build a monument with those stones. What's the purpose of the monument? Well, it's for the people of Israel as well. And the purpose is described in verse 24. Not on your screen, but just listen to what the purpose for which these stones, this memorial, is indicated by God's people. He says, So that my so that you may so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Does that strike you as interesting? God is wanting his people to fear him, to reverence him, to respect him. Why would God want that from his people? 
Because you and I know that the temptation and the tendency that we have is that once we have received the miracle and once we have received our crossing is once we have come to faith in Christ, we forget who got us there and how we got there and we somehow think that maybe we got here in and of our own doing. And we began to take credit for what God did. God knows our human tendencies. He knows our human nature. And he knows that once we cross over and once we get to the other side, we get a little cocky and a little bit arrogant. And we have a tendency to believe or somehow to think, to yield to the temptation. Look what we have done. And God is saying, don't do that. Because this, this, this rock, these rocks here, they're going to be a reminder of what I have done. And you better fear me. You better not take credit or take glory for what I rightfully did. You better give me the credit. You better give me the glory. Because if you don't, if you don't, I'm going to discipline you. And, and I think faith always resists the temptation to forget God. Don't forget where you were and how you got to where you are and how you're going to get to where God wants to take you. Because it's because of God and in God and through God that we get there, not in and of ourselves. We simply reciprocate and we simply respond to the activity and to the power of God flowing through our obedience. As we step out in faith, he parted the waters. They could have done that by themselves. And because only God could do it, we must depend on him. And there's an accountability here that we must have for each other. And when we see Others around us trying to take credit or trying to uh, fail to recognize God or whatever. We say, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's, let's go back to the rock. And let's remind ourselves exactly where we were and how we got here. Well, faith, rock solid faith, not only stimulates accountability, but it stands ready. It also stands ready. Take a look at the text in verse 13. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Remember the two and a half tribes that we discussed a couple of weeks ago who had made a commitment in advance with Abraham? They were shepherds. They had livestock and they wanted to stay on this side of the Jordan. That was their inheritance. And they asked Abraham if they could have it and he granted it to them. But he said on one condition. They said, what's the condition? And they made a pact. They made a covenant with Abraham. We will send troops over the other side of the Jordan to help our brothers and sisters possess the promised land. And now as they are crossing over the Jordan, there are 40,000 troops ready and dressed for battle. These 40,000 are from the two and a half tribes that had already received their inheritance and they actually precede the procession that marches on dry land through the Jericho as the water is being held by the hand of God. And they are dressed for battle. Now you might ask, why are they dressed for battle? I don't think they're dressed for battle to protect Israel. I don't think that's the reason. I think they're there to show force to the enemy. Hey, we're a force to be reckoned with. Now, in case you think 40,000 troops is a lot, remember just 40 years earlier when they spied out the land, the people decided that they couldn't take Jericho, that they couldn't take the land because they didn't have enough troops and enough force? I'm not sure that they were trying to intimidate because of their size nor their weapons, but they were standing there as soldiers of the Lord demonstrating to the enemy, we may be only 40,000 here ready to fight, but if you just saw what happened here, 40,000 is more than enough to overtake your city. I don't care how fortified you are, how many weapons you may have, and how much resistance you may offer, we're going to take your city. 
And I think when the enemy in Jericho saw what God had done and saw these 40 troops, they began to prepare for battle, but they already, we know what Rahab said earlier, that the city already recognized their defeat, even before the battle. And so these troops, I think, were there primarily to show force to the enemy that they were about to enter into the promised land that is rightfully theirs. But I think it was also a sign of faith on their part and God's part. It was a sign of faith as the people of God were already saying, you know what? We understand and we recognize that even though God's done this and we crossed over the Jordan, we're on dry land, that the battle's not over. The victory has not been complete. Let me give you a little saying that I think if you're not careful, you'll often forget. And here's a saying that I, I say to myself often. You can't fight today's battles on yesterday's victories. You can't fight today's battles on yesterday's victories. Because today will, today will bring battles that will require faith. They will require faith. And you have either just been through a battle or you're in a battle or you're about to go into a battle. There's no standing still. There's no place in which you can sort of draw in the mode and isolate and insulate yourself from the enemy. It's not going to happen. And I think these people, the people of God, are well aware that even though God has miraculously done something for them and they've crossed over the Jordan on dry land and they are now in their promise that there still are battles that must be fought and won. And it's a sign of their faith to believe that even though they're incredible fortifications and huge enemies, they're going to try to prevent them from occupying what is rightfully theirs because of the promise of God. It's his to give, and he did. Hey, we're ready. We're ready. We're dressed spiritually with spiritual weaponry that is necessary in order to charge and to take and possess what is rightfully ours, even though there's conflict. We know who our God is. We know how he's equipped us, and we know what the outcome's going to be. And then lastly, it only seeks intimacy, strikes immediately, shares willingly, stimulates accountability, stands ready. But lastly, it submits completely. It submits completely. Where do you get that? Let's look at these verses very quickly. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, notice what happens. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. Here Joshua gets a message from God. Now keep in mind that the priests... The whole time while all this is going on, they're the first ones to step out and the waters part and the ground becomes dry. Remember, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They're the first. And then here come the two and a half tribes keeping about a thousand foot difference between them and, and the Ark of the Covenant. And they're standing in the middle of the river that had been overflowing. And the hand of God came and, and stopped it. And then the water began to back up. And here are these guys. They're standing there the whole time. I mean, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. You're standing there next to a wall of, of sea, of, of, of water. I mean, you're standing there, and here's this water right here. It's not a, there's not a dam. There's no bricks or stones. There's nothing. There's just a, a wall of water. And they're standing next to it while two million-plus people go by. 
Now, if you had been one of them and all the people gone by, and now that they're all over, you would have wondered, when is it my time? And how long is this wall going to stay like this? Is it going to come crashing on me? Hey, I'm ready. Is it our turn? I went out of this place. You know, here's just a side, little side information here, a little side truth. As long as God told you to stand where you're standing, I don't care how intimidating anything may appear, his hand will prevent that from crushing you and defeating you until he tells you it's time to go with him. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Don't fret. And these guys are standing there, and they're just kind of, and they're, coming, and they're going, it's our turn to believe it. Dad, go. Well, the word comes, the message comes to Joshua. Hey, go to the priest. Tell him it's time. And what do the priests do? Our time. And they start walking, and notice that as soon as their foot, the, here's, here's the river, as soon as their foot comes out of the river, what happens? Before, they stepped in. Now they step out immediately, instantly. Now, the priests, let's look at them. The priests stay at their post until the job is finished. They don't vacate. They don't run. They don't look for shelter. They wait on the timing. They wait on a word from the Lord. And it wasn't until the Lord communicated to Joshua exactly when it was for them to leave their post. They then left. And as soon as their foot, as soon as their last foot of the last priest steps out of that, out of that place where the river once flowed in the dry land, whoo, the water began to flow again. Now, here's, here's what faith does. Faith doesn't just step into grace. Faith doesn't just stand in grace. Faith submits to grace until the work is done. These priests could not leave their post because the work was not done. And I think there are times we think that faith is faith as long as I step out, as long as I stand, but I don't have to complete the work of the assignment that God has given me. So I've done that, so I've been faithful. And God says, no. You can't vacate your position. You can't vacate your post until I say the work is finished. And until I say the work is finished, you stand where you are, stay where you are, trust in me until the work is complete. That's what faith does. That's what rock-solid faith does. So as we close, let me ask you. Is your faith a rock-solid faith? Is your faith a rock-solid faith? Are you living as a living memorial to God's faithfulness by your faith? Individually, we must all individually possess a rock-solid faith. But as individually we possess a rock-solid faith, we must come corporately together and possess a rock-solid faith. For we, like Israel, with complete faith, trust, and dependency upon God. Not just in our individual lives, but in what He has called us together to do. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. 
Each Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 10 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship service and a casual and relaxed setting. Our second worship service begins at 11 a.m. and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for adults and children of all ages are offered at 9.45 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com. Lord, your praise.